The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the... I have to change that. If you want to drive with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is the future of cars, one of our newest series. What exactly is the future? Well, if you don't know by now, it's what happens in the millisecond or less after I stop talking. That was the future right there. Did you get it? So today's buzz, car DNA. What is she talking about? Let's talk. As we hurdle toward the new DNA of transportation, here's what it is. It's digital. It's connected and coordinated. It's shared, tailored, driverless. Now you have the picture. Well, many challenges could impede, reroute, or even run it off the road on the path to progress in changing transportation. So what are some of these challenges? Well, we have regulatory confusion okay we have infrastructure questions we have insurance and liability issues which always rear their head you know what those are we have driverless vehicles coexisting on the same road lane by lane side by side with human drivers that could be one of the biggest challenges we have press is the press good is the press bad and then those trickle down perceptions of what the press actually meant Hmm, I wonder what she meant by that and then we have the behavior of autonomous vehicles because they will have a personality and they will behave. When will we arrive at the destination of this new DNA of transportation? Well, a lot on our plate today, and that's why we have invited back the same panel of speakers from the debut episode of this series. So let's get started. First up, I'm pleased to welcome back always... Larry Stoley, if anybody wants to look him up, it's S-T-O-L-L-E, not like the other Stoley. Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP, and he is the sponsor of this series. Larry has sent me a quote from John F. Kennedy. Yes, 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 he was the 35th president of the U.S. until his assassination in November 1963, and so much happened on his watch. I won't go into history, but just Google him if you're not sure. Here's the quote. Change is the law of life. Those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Larry Stoley, how are you? I am well, thank you, Bonnie. I'm uh, glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back, Larry. What an interesting quote, changes the law of life. I've heard this before, and I think this could be the mantra for what we're talking about today, the new DNA of transportation. So tell me, Larry, how come you picked this particular quote for this particular episode? 
We, you know, as, as companies and, and as people, we always talk about change. We talk about change being everywhere, something we have to live with. You know, nothing's constant. Only change is consistent. But, you know, that's just the first part of this thing. I think we all understand that. But the, the importance of the quote to me is we have to be very careful in that we need to accept that change. We need to grab onto that change. We need to understand it and capitalize on it. Otherwise, we may miss change altogether. If you go back a, a number of years to Henry Ford, you know, he back in the in the early days of the combustion engine automobile, if, if Henry Ford asked a transportation user what they wanted in terms of transportation, they would have said faster horses. And, mm-hmm. you know, that would have been a clear indication of not understanding and missing the boat, so to speak. So eyes open, jump on, and go with the good stuff because it's going to happen. Don't let it leave you behind. It certainly is, Larry. And and in my intro, uh, which you helped me write, and thank you for the great abstract for this, I, I'm wondering if aside from insurance and liability issues, we know they're always going to be there. Infrastructure, yes, yes, yes. Regulatory confusion, yes, yes, yes. But maybe the newest wrinkle here or the newest roadblock, if you will, is driverless vehicles coexisting with human drivers juxtaposed to or with autonomous vehicle behaviors. Do you think those are the biggest issues and the biggest challenges today, Larry? For, for me, they are. I mean, particularly mm-hmm. that coexistence matter. Um, I just don't have a good feeling because autonomous vehicles are polite. They mind the law. They mind their manners. They don't offend people. They don't, let's face it, you know, bad things happen on the highways because of people, not because of cars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're going to be very polite. But, you know, if I'm driving 73 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour, and the autonomous vehicle is strictly obeying the law, I have to exercise some patience, don't I? One would hope so. One of the biggest challenges. One would one would certainly hope so. Larry, I'm planning to ask you and your colleagues on the panel, I'm going to introduce them in a second, what you're all driving today in addition to what you're all drinking today. I think we, we need to link, as Kennedy said, those who look only to the past or present, certainly to miss the future, but I'd like to know uh, right now in the present what you're all driving as we go, as we drive into the future. Thank you, Larry, for putting together another great topic for us. And now I'd like to introduce and welcome back Heather Ashton. She is a research manager at I. DC Manufacturing Insights. And this time, Heather has sent me very interesting quote from Warren Bennis. I had to look him up. He lived from 1925 to 2014, passed away on July 31st, just a year and a half ago. He was an American scholar, an organizational consultant and author, and widely regarded as a pioneer of the contemporary field of leadership studies. Turns out that he was university professor and distinguished professor of business administration and founding chairman of the Leadership Institute at the University of Southern California and did a lot of major work at MIT on group behavior in the 60s. So there. So now you all know who Warren Bennis is, B-E-N-N-I-S. And here's the quote. Innovation. Any new idea, by definition, will not be accepted at first. It takes repeated attempts, endless demonstrations, monotonous rehearsals before innovation can be accepted and internalized by any organization. This requires courageous patience. Oh, 
What an amazing quote. Heather Ashton, welcome back. How are you, Heather? Oh, great, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me again. We are thrilled to have you. Tell me, are you a big fan? By the way, Warren Bennis's middle name was Gamaliel. Did you know that? I did not know that, actually. There you do. Now you do. So yeah. talk to me. Are you? Do you follow him? Are you a big fan of this leadership guru? Not a, um, I, I have followed some of his, um, you know, writings in the past and uh, over different, er- you know, stages of my education, I would say. They have come into play. Um, so when I was looking for something, um, it, I was very happy to see that he had a nice, a nice quote about innovation, which is really what I wanted to, you know, kind of focus on. So. so tell me something. What's the most important part here relating to our topic about the new DNA of transportation, Heather? Is it the courageous patience? Is it the idea, repeated attempts, endless demonstrations, monotonous, I love that word, monotonous rehearsals, thinking of all the Broadway producers who are like, oh, God, do we have to do this dance number again for the 5,000th <laughs> time? So who is going to be doing these monotonous rehearsals and these endless demonstrations? Will it be the manufacturers? Will it be the the, the people who say, yes, I want that and I'm going to make it better, the, the mechanics in garages somewhere? Who's going to be doing all of this to get this innovation accepted? Certainly. I really think that it is, um, it's pervasive throughout, you know, automotive companies and throughout the automotive um, value chain, as well as across other companies as well. But really the idea is that, um, that I like the quote, was to remind automotive companies that, and that, that have started down the path of making innovation part of their organizational foundation, that it's not going to be pretty at first. Autonomous vehicles are really no exception. So the idea is really hang in there, keep spouting the crazy notions that we might have cars that hover or that, that don't have steering wheels in the near future because eventually that innovation is going to drive a sweeping change in the wider society. And I think that's going to be for the better. Thank you very much. I like that. I love optimism. And this is exciting. We, we don't want to lose, fact, lose sight of the fact that this is going to be exciting. It might be a pain in the, in the driver's seat, but it's going to be exciting. Thank you, Heather, very much. And welcome back. And rounding out our panel of returnees is Otto Schell, S-C-H-E-L-L. He's Global SAP Business Architect and SAP Center of Excellence Lead at GM. That's General Motors. And Otto has sent me one of our favorite quotes from Albert Einstein. I I find it hard to believe that Einstein lived until 1955, which seems like, I don't know, for some of us, it's not that far in the past. And here's the quote, logic will get you from A to B, imagination will take you everywhere. Otto Schell, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for joining us. Otto, talk to me. Albert Einstein, you picked a very interesting quote. How does it relate to our topic? Yeah, actually, when I was asked to put a quote, this was the day where the universities came back, and after nearly 100 years, they found out that Einstein was right. So it took technology more than 100 years to to prove what somebody has imagined 100 years ago. And I think we are all in the same position like Einstein, that we are imagining where the future is going. main difference is that we have now the technology beside us, and I think that is why when I was thinking what to provide is, it's a kind of warning. No? So let's not wait 100 years what's going on. We are now in the way where we can predict the future, where we are part of the future. May everything come? We don't know. Is everything positive? Certainly not. We have uh, to consider environments. We have to consider people. We have to consider social. But at the end of the day, that that somebody came with a great idea, and actually, I think it was only three pages he put it on, and it takes 100 years to get it done, I think this is fascinating. And we are, that's the main difference for our 
for our area at the moment, we are in the middle of this transition of this, the, the way we, we can influence. And this is the fantastic one, too. Very interesting, Otto. I'm thinking of uh, another quote, and I don't know who, who said it, but I'll look it up eventually. It's hurry up and wait. How does that sound? Hurry, hurry up and wait. A hundred years. And when you said we are part of the future, what a great comment, Otto, because Larry is the sponsor of this series, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. We have another series called The Future of Business, another one called The Future of the Future. And that's right now. Every time you stop a sentence, you've just entered the future of the future. So very, very well put. Thank you, Otto, and welcome back to you as well. Now I'm going to circle back to Larry Stoley and find out, Larry, A, what are you driving? B, I want, toward the end of the show in predictions, maybe we'll predict what you all predict you'll be driving in, in five or ten or a hundred years uh, per Mr. Einstein. Larry, what are you driving and uh, what are you not drinking while you're driving? Talk to me. <laughs> so having been with the car companies for many, many years, I decided a few years ago that I was going to own a vehicle. I was going to pay for it until it was paid for. So I'm driving a 2010 GMC pickup truck. And quite happy to do it. I just spent some money on tires and brakes and so on. I love the thing. It has the level of technology that I'm comfortable with. It has a silly radio in it that I never listen to. But <laughs> it does everything I want. And I'm thinking, you know, some of these new vehicles look awfully nice. But at the end of the day, I'm quite happy. And I have two more payments, by the way. So that makes me even happier. Uh, What's in my cup of coffee this morning? You know me, Bonnie. I'm consistent to a fault, never in doubt. Folgers is in my cup. It's hot. It uh, is continuously filled and refreshed, at least until noontime. And caffeine, I I don't know if it even exists because I don't feel it one way or another. But Folgers (laughs) is my morning drink. Oh, what a great what a great uh, promo here for Folgers. I'm sure the check will be in the mail very soon, Mr. Stoley. <laughs> Maybe Question, we'll make do my you, last car payment. Do you drink your your Folgers in your truck? Do you have one of those cup holders, or uh, do you, what do you do? Bonnie, I do, I do occasionally. If if I leave somewhere early enough in the morning and the pot of coffee is still full, I'll pour it into a go cup and take it. But ordinarily, I'm. I'm not big into drinking in the truck, no. Okay, thank you very much. You're a man after my own heart. I prefer my sports cars seasoned and uh, road-friendly and anywhere between forty and 60,000 miles on them when I buy them because I know they're going to be ready for fun. So there you yep. go. Not a truck, but a sports car. We've talked about that before. Let's turn to Heather Ashton. Heather, may I ask what you drive these days or what you'd like to be driving, and what are you drinking? Sure. Um, so the driving's interesting. I, I just got, and it's, and it's an, um, a departure from my previous cars, but a couple years ago I was turned on to a Jeep Wrangler four-door. So I'm driving a 2013 Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, and I have to say it's old school, right? I'm sure to Larry's point about his truck. Um, so it doesn't have a lot of the, I had the option for the, you know, the Uconnect um, system, but I chose not because Really, the more exciting thing is the fact that I can take it off-road on the beach, and I can, more interestingly to my teenage boys, we can pull the doors off in the summer. So it's, be- it's become quite a, uh, uh, you know, experiment of, of att- attaching and reattaching and detaching the doors, and it's been a very enjoyable. 
um, as far as what's in my cup, I, uh, I, last time I shared my Bulletproof Coffee uh, recipe, but this yes. time I wanted to share an experience that I just had last week. Um, we went to vacation in Martinique, which is a French island in the Lesser Antilles. Mm-hmm. And in Martinique, there's this tea punch, which is a, uh, I'm probably not pronouncing it even correctly, it's, that's Creole for petite punch. Um, and it's not just a cocktail, it's actually part of daily life. It really permeates the social landscape. So we showed up to a restaurant for lunch, and apparently wherever you dine or drink on this French island, it's always on the menu. And it's typically served um, where they basically walk over and give you the bottle of rum with all the other ingredients on the side. So the first day we sit down and we show up, and I ordered it, and I thought I was going to get a mixed drink, but instead I got a bottle of rum, I got this syrup de con, which is a cane syrup, and then I got a little bowl of fresh sliced lime. And apparently, at the empty glass that it came with it, I was supposed to basically mix my own drink. So um, I did so, but, and then obviously asked a number of questions along the way um, to understand, you know, what was behind it. But that was very interesting to me. It's the first time I've ever been served a cocktail where I had to actually assemble it on my own. Wow. Fascinating. Well, you were driving your own cocktail, Heather, obviously. Yeah. You were ready. Yeah. What was the name of, what did you call the cocktail again? The tea it's what? Tea Punch. So T-I and then the word punch. Um, and again, I, I, will, I don't speak French or Creole, so I will, you know, abuse the, uh, the word, but um, that's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's basically on every menu and that's what they drink pretty much all the time. Well, here you go. Uh, there is something called the Rum Journal online, and the title of this article is A Sweet T-I apostrophe, and then the word punch, T punch in St. Martin. And it says uh, this is another way to make a tea punch, the simplest, purest, greatest cocktail in the West Indies. Usual way is brown sugar, lime, and rum agricole blanc, or perhaps syrup in lieu of sugar. But uh, Philippe Auger, who has managed the bar at the Grand Case Beach Club Sunset Cafe for nearly a decade, is what is she? Oh, Philippe's wife, Martinicien, is uh, substituting honey. There you go. There's another version of it for you, Heather, in case you go oh, back. Oh, that's ask, great. I didn't realize ask, that. Ask for the, oh yeah, just a T-I apostrophe and then the word punch. Just Google it. You'll get all kinds of recipes. Very cool. Thank you, Heather. Well, we know a lot more about you now. And now let's drive on down the line. Oh, I'm sorry for the pun. Just getting really old here. Otto Shell, what are you driving and what are you drinking? So actually, I'm uh, driving in Germany um, a GM medium-sized SUV fully equipped with technology. So all the assistants you can believe are on the market and also connected to, to OnStar programs, Wi-Fi in the car. So everything what you what you really can get at the moment, and quite honest, it's quite comfortable. No? So if you can connect this, and for me very important is that I have digital radio, so I can use uh, listen to techno music. So I'm a techno music fan, you know, boom, 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 boom. Uh, because this pre- <laughs> Because this frees up my mind and uh, I can get more ideas uh, and I can get everything done. And when I'm driving and I'm connected to wireless, I even can send emails without big issues. It's really nice. So it's a working home and um, that's what I'm driving. And as usually, I drink coffee yeah, and I drink it black. Yeah. So uh, yesterday we had a kind of business transformation session. And yes, it's nice if you have thousands of choices, but at the end of the day, digitalization need standardization and standardization will then need a kind of automatization so i'm strongly black coffee with a little bit sugar and no fancy things the, Otto, you just said something i never thought i would hear auto shell say you said i'm listening to the radio and the boom 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 techno music and something about a, a drive a driving office you're working while 
that was great. I never thought I would hear Otto Shell say techno music, boom, 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 in yeah, the same most sentence. People, most people don't consider me as a techno freak, but uh, I like this when you go in a discotheque and uh, the, the, the tones are going into your stomach and free up your mind. And then you are like in trance. And I think a lot of people take this entire discussion much too serious because everybody tries to create a solution for a problem which we even don't know. So I think you need to free up your mind and, and just let it flow. And this kind of music helps me. Other may have other tones, but this kind of music really helps me to let it flow. And then I'm happy to have, then I have, I'm really happy to have uh, electronically assistance because when you get a flow and you drive, this can be dangerous. So if then you know you go over the line and there's a beep, this helps you really to stay on. So I'm really in this technology. Wow, this is a new side of Auto Shell. We, I, Larry Stoley, did you know this about Auto Shell? You've probably no. known him for ages. No, never, never had a clue. Never had see, a clue. See, sometimes I'm tempted to change the title of these shows to True Confessions with Game Changers. <laughs> we, I don't know. Otto and I were just having this private conversation. Nobody was listening. All of a sudden, here's Larry and here's Heather and yeah, here's people but, all over the world listening to it. Otto, yeah, your secret but, but is you safe know, with... Yeah, what, what is very funny with going to techno music and to discotheques, you don't see middle-aged people. You see just the young, and I want to be young. Otto... You are young. Anybody who can go boom, 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 listening to techno and freeing their mind and doing what you do at GM and going to discos and loving that music, you are young. You always will be, and that's ju- that's just a pronouncement. I'm telling you, I'm I'm a, a kid of the disco era as well. I used to go out to the discos on Long Island three or four nights a week back in the heyday. Now you can't find any more of them. Otto, you're going to come over here to New York. We're going to start a drive-in disco. Larry Sounds and Heather, like you're going to help me. Heather's going to going to mix up the tea punch, and and Larry, you'll do something. I don't know. You'll be the MC, and Otto and I are going to be on the dance floor. I think it's a great idea. But let's get back to business here. We're talking about the future. We're having too much fun. The future yep. of cars, shared and driverless transportation, part two. And we're focusing today on challenges to progress. Is it a dream? Is it a reality? Fact, fiction, myth? The future of cars, driverless cars, autonomous vehicles. What is standing in the way? What's technically the roadblock to making this all happen? We are going to talk a little bit about the insurance and liability issues, infrastructure questions, regulations, ah, confusing, driverless vehicles, side-by-side, lane-by-lane with human drivers, the press. Do they love it? Do they hate it? What are they saying? And who is listening? So much more when we come back with our roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm still drinking water with a blue straw because it's blue skies today. So we'll be right back in 60 seconds. Don't drive off the road in the meantime. Boom, boom, boom. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. 
Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Cars and what is roadblocking that future? Is it here? Is it partially here? When is it coming? What do we have to look forward to? And what, what may, might we need to clear off the road to get there fully? Larry Stoli is going to help me launch the roundtable. Larry, let's talk about, um, we could talk about a couple things. I'd like to look at regulatory first, but you sent me a very provocative comment here in your notes before the show. You said the U.S. NHTSA, I'm going to let you define who that is, says artificial intelligence systems, meaning computers, should be considered drivers under federal law. And this is a major step in winning approval for autonomous vehicles on our roads. And this came from a Reuters article, U.S. Alpha. Alphabet Auto Self-Driving Exclusive. That's part of the URL. Larry, talk to me. What is the NHTSA, Transformation, Transportation, something authority in there? And how could computers be considered drivers? The uh, NHTSA is, is one we all know and love, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Thank you. This is an organization within the federal government, Department of Transportation, that actually came on the scene in the mid-60s to standardize and to safeguard driving, if you will. So coming from NHTSA are many, many uh, regulations and so on, policies, procedures, and so on, requirements. So they're looking all the time about how they make cars safer, how they control driving. They they get involved with everything from, in, in previous years, from the size of radio knobs, uh, for example, so they're not spears in a collision mm-hmm. to things like how airbags deploy and, and, you know, those types of things. So they've been very deeply involved in defining what automobiles are. So the, the interesting thing is, go back to, the, you know, to, to one of the quotes, is that if we're not careful, we'll miss things. Many of the regulations that NHTSA has defined in the interest of safety over many years, uh, we have to be careful because there are unintended consequences of trying to do the right thing. And those unintended consequences carry forward to the future world of autonomous vehicles. For example, they require steering wheels of a certain size. They require brake pedals to be placed in a certain position in the vehicle. All of this is a result of them trying to make things safer for all drivers. Now we have an autonomous vehicle. It doesn't need a steering wheel. It doesn't need a brake pedal. So Mm -hmm. NHTSA now requires brake pedals and steering wheels. How does that relate to an autonomous vehicle that doesn't need one? And is that a block, a blocker, if you will, to progress? 
The NHTSA in February of this year basically issued a ruling that said computers, artificial intelligence, the things that will drive autonomous vehicles can be considered the driver. Mm. Now, with that in place, we have to take a look at modifying the rules that exist today to allow the newly defined driver to be accommodated, to, to operate in its environment in its own way. So you see how laws of the past, well-intentioned, can get in the way of the future, and we have to be very careful that we recognize that and take actions as necessary and appropriate and safe to uh, open those doors that uh, may be perceived as being blocked. Thank you, Larry. It reminds me of some recent cases on the soon-to-be-ended TV series, The Good Wife. They love to approach cases, and I think they had one on a uh, driverless car experiment that drove off the road and, and supposedly injured someone, and the question was who was responsible, the onboard computer, the AI, the person who created the program to run that car. How did it trickle back down into the, the person or the entity that was ultimately responsible for uh, for a very damaging accident. Heather Ashton, love to get your POV on this. A lot of interesting information, Larry. Share. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think Larry's right, and I think the the challenge that we're going to have is it's going to take time to unfold and to make some of those changes, right, to kind of change some of this law and policy that's been in, in effect for decades around whether you have a break you know, a brake, whether you have a steering wheel. So it's it, the, in the, um, the NHTSA basically said it can't be waived Im- immediately. They cannot immediately say, all right, we don't need foot controls, you know, in terms of a, a braking system. So it, it is going to take time. So we're going to have to um, have this kind of a, a crossover period where there's, you know, sort of this, this hybrid, right, ability. Um, and I thought it was interesting along those same points is um, in the same uh, correspondence, it was basically between Google and the NHTSA via letter that went back and forth. Google actually expressed concern that providing human occupants of the vehicle with mechanisms to control things like steering, acceleration, and braking could be detrimental to safety because the human occupants could attempt to override the self-driving system's decisions. So you really have, you know, kind of another lens to look at this through, right, is that Google thinks that that's actually going to be a distraction to keep some of these traditional, you know, components of, of a vehicle um, in a self-driving car versus that this whole, like, you know, tradition of not of having them there and needing them there for safety. So uh, I think it's still unfolding. You know, this push and pull is going to continue for a while. Heather, thank you. And in fact, you just changed something I mentioned in the opening and and after the break talking about driverless cars, lane by lane, side by side with human drivers. Now we're talking about driverless cars containing or carrying human passengers who want to override the AI, the automatic computer driver system that is propelling them in some direction. So it's not even lane by lane. It's here's the computer, here's the human brain, here's the human finger, or here's the the, uh, joystick, if you will, controlling and overriding. You've just changed the entire dynamic. Very interesting. Otto Shell, I bet you have a lot to say. Talk to me. Um, I recently came uh, from India, going to Bangalore, and in Bangalore, driverless cars have uh, no chance, yeah? Due to the fact that there are so much bumps, uh, as soon as you go to the first bump, your uh, your energies are broken. 
So I think the uh, what what we need to do is besides um, checking what is really required from a law perspective, and there are a lot of things open, is also to see how we can support the infrastructures. Yeah, uh, what does a product mean if nobody can really use it? So, and I think this is the, the really the critical part of the discussions we have to take. When you go in in, in, a, in a town like in Germany somewhere, you go in and, and see a crossing with all the, the nameplates, with the, the files where you have to go, with the traffic lights. So when you can reduce this to, to just having one pillar in the middle, which makes all the connection, this is investment. And I think, uh, yes, we have to talk about what needs to adjust it from a law perspective. We now, know now that computers can drive, yeah, but the question is, who at the end is guilty when it comes to an accident. These are all discussions we have to take. But again, all these kind of discussions don't help us if the infrastructure in our towns, in the cities, in the neighborhoods are not in a way that you can really use this. And I think we need really to start, how do we get cyber ready? Um, these are investments which have to be shared. I think there are companies... Uh, just taking the oil industry, yeah, when you see all their gas stations downtown on the streets in the suburbs, can you imagine these are not more gas stations of the future? These are really transition stations. Yeah, they can do much more than just providing gas or a cookie. So these are the kind of discussions we have to take. And I think the biggest change, as a final statement, is everybody up to now tries to take the best out for himself. The government want to get taxes. Yeah, people in the in the government who are making law want to protect. So this is not what IoT is about. IoT is about collaboration, and without this collaboration, making open books, we will not be able to come with products which are driverless. Because, as I said, it's an isolated product. But what we need is infrastructure, and this belongs all together. Thank you. Larry Stoli, I'm going to circle back to you. Or I'm going to drive around the circle back to you and your thoughts on what Heather and Otto just added to your topic. Well, there are two things. Heather was exactly right saying, you know, if we put these opportunities to override some significant intelligence in a driverless vehicle, the human psyche will always be there ready, willing, and able, based upon emotion, not necessarily logic to, to intervene, and that may not be a good thing. Otto, on the other hand, you know, was talking about infrastructure and so on, and, you know, th that's, that is absolutely true. And, you know, I, I just think that the infrastructure we know today, just as surely as it evolved from uh, uh, barns and stables over 100 years ago to gas stations, uh, service stations, uh, and so on, uh, it will change. We will have technology centers. We will have centers that uh, uh, allow for quick charging, for inductive charging. You don't have to get out of your vehicle. You just, you know, pull over and, and the charging's. And we'll see a lot of that. But I think fundamentally what will happen is that infrastructure change will be one of the pace setters uh, or, or pace slowers, uh, mm -hmm. if that's a better way to look at it, of the whole ad uh, adoption of autonomous vehicles. Thank you, Larry. 
I'm going to move in a slightly different direction here. I'm looking at some notes from Heather Ashton at IDC. Heather sent me before the show, and let me just read a couple lines here, and Heather, then we'll have you run with it or drive it. I, we got to get. We, why would we avoid these metaphors? We're driving today. Heather <laughs> says, "Security, forgive me. Security and data privacy will remain two of the biggest consumer barriers to widespread adoption of connected cars and autonomous cars." And then Heather adds. There will be additional alarming reports of cars that are hacked and likely even one or more that is driven by malicious intent. This is not a good thing, Heather. Talk to me. Is this happening? Is it, are we, are the, the cyber criminals standing on the sidelines saying, oh, yummy, another way to hack people's private information. I can't wait. <laughs> how insidious, how insi- there's a movie in there somewhere, Heather. How, how insidious is this? How, how imminent is this? Well, you know what's so interesting is um, when I had said that, I, there was a recent study that um, IDC, the company I work for, was we were commissioned by a security company um, to, to run a survey of automakers and parts makers to ask just the question about the security. And, and they found that on average, and these are, again, major automakers and mm-hmm. the parts supply chain, they respondents think it will be one to three years before connected car technology will be secure. And when interviewed, many of them, you know, kind of readily admitted that they didn't quite fully think through the security side when they were doing a lot of these, um, a lot of the, you know, software kind of aspects of, of connected cars. Um, so the, the best practice here, really, to kind of, you know, in the next one to three years, as it's going to take for this, you know, the, the technology and the, um, the market to catch up here, is really to keep the car's performance and their info, infotainment systems separate, right? So, so don't go for the whole blended car with the infotainment system and the actual, you know, the, the, the system that runs the car itself together. Like, focus on keeping them separate to really reduce the risk of contamination from hackers on both sides. And, and so that's going to really require technology companies like Apple and Google to work very closely with the automakers, um, GM, Ford, et cetera, in order to, you know, work together, right, on trying to find the best way to make this secure. But, but the bottom line, Bonnie, is really that, you know, we're not there yet. And, and I do think it's going to be um, an issue in the coming months to, to few years until this really kind of gets fully baked. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, very appropriate that I would now turn to Otto Shell, who is uh, techno and he loves devices and gadgets and looking forward to all of this new DNA of transportation. Otto, thoughts on what Heather just shared in terms of your sense as a consumer in terms of adopting autonomous cars, self-driving cars, and the issue of security and data privacy, not only from you in your position in the industry, but you as a consumer. Otto, love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mentioned this in, in, in some of our sessions that I'm a, as a consumer, I'm less concerned. Okay. Yeah, because uh, at the end of the day, we have learned in the last couple of years that, that we can trust ourselves because we are creating these machines. There are still humans mm-hmm. behind. No? So we have it in our end. Yeah? Maybe in 30, 40, 50 years, machines create machines. and get a little bit more concerned because I lose control. So at the at the end of the day, if the environments, what we said before, uh, is settled in a way, yeah, maybe in, in the beginning, a strange feeling sitting in the back and there's nobody who drives. But at the end of the day, we are jumping so much caps around the world and we trust the driver. So for me, this is not from a consumer really a difference. Hmm. Yeah? And uh, as I, 
as I said in the beginning, yeah, I'm I'm having a full equipped car. The only thing what is missing is really that I can use the equipment to work and to have fun, and that means I don't want to drive anymore. Yeah, so I'm I'm really on this, and I would try. Yeah, and as I said, as long as we create this, human factors are already a little bit fuzzy concerned. Yeah, so I think our engineers will make everything that it's protected before we go ahead. Hmm. Interesting. Larry Stoley, thoughts? Yeah, it, definitely some thoughts. You know, the, this whole ocean of data privacy is one that I think, you know, kind of like Otto said, it'll all take care of itself. I mean, let's be very honest. As we look at the socially connected world, we're throwing our data privacy out there. People just are doing that. Data privacy is only an issue when something untoward happens to, to you personally. Then, then, yep. then you wonder... You know, yep. how could this happen, you know, right? But the fact is, people are throwing their private data out all, all over the place. I can find out anything I want uh, for free about anybody I want. And with a little money, I can find out things they don't even want you to know. So I think that will take care of itself. I think the whole issue of, of data privacy will also have some exposure in the courts. We're seeing that happen now with uh, Apple in particular. Um, so, you know, I think the data privacy thing will, will morph, uh, technology will, will change things. But the whole notion of security, uh, let's be very honest, you know, security is, is kind of like a hamster in a wheel, you know. The hamster's going to run faster and he's going to catch up with the wheel. And then the wheel's going to take off and, and run a little faster and the security hamster's going to ha- have to catch up again. So I don't think that's going to change. I don't... Th- think security will ever be absolute. I think it will be a continuously evolving struggle between the forces of, uh, it's a cliche, good and bad, uh, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. But I think privacy will is, is not such an issue. I think security is the big issue. Very interesting. Uh, you raised some very interesting points, Larry, about our we're putting so much private information out there. There's a lot of trust involved and maybe some naivete, and that's a whole different show. We could cover that on the Internet of Things with Game Changers, another series we have. But uh, very interesting. Uh, I want to move on. First, Heather, any comments? You started this about security and data privacy in terms of uh, connected cars. Any thoughts you want to wrap up before I move on to another topic with Otto? Sure, I would I would just agree, um, following what Larry said, and that security is going to be um, the case, and the case is a catching up and keeping up, that we're never going to reach a, a complacent stage. So just making sure that we keep on hiring and finding the best and the brightest, right, to stay ahead of the uh, of the hackers out there. Thank you very much. And Otto, I'm looking at your notes, and here's something I don't think we have touched upon at all on the show. We have plenty of time. You say cars can be connected as much as possible, but... Without connected smart cities, they're still just cars. Otto, very profound. Talk to me. What are we referencing here? Yeah, I mentioned this a little bit in the statement before. So when you see, when you go to a gas station, how much taxes you pay at the moment, mm-hmm. most of the taxes normally should go back in better streets and better environments. No? But when you really go on the road, is this the case? No, the money is going somewhere. So I think connected cars really means that you have an infrastructure. Connected car really means that you go into a world, again, where you don't need any more sign which is showing how much speed you have to take, or if you go left or right, this means that 
signless, yeah, that there is also no traffic light in, at the end anymore because it can be connected. And we are talking not now, we are talking the future here. So these are all investments to be taken. And yes, there is a hype on uh, where we want to go. Most talks are around about what's possible from a technology point with products as cars or others. There's a lot of discussions as we heard about security and I would put another one as safety, safety of your intellectual property. And then everybody is talking, yeah, we have something which could drive, but the surroundings are not ready. Surroundings are still waiting who takes the money for an investment and it's huge investments we have to take to make our world in a way that we can be connected and just reaching out to towns like let's say Singapore they are prepared they go there yeah when you see what's going on in, in San Francisco they will go there do you like it maybe not because a lot of people get homeless because rich people pay the rents but those cities are getting there in a way that they try to live in this environment but I'm not seeing this movement, the discussion from the politics, from everybody. Hey, how do we change our world to get in this kind of connected way, but also in this kind of uh, seamless way? And this is not something which occurs from today to tomorrow. This is long-term investments to be taken. That's what I'm saying. You can have the best connected product if it does not connect to the outside environment. Thank you very much. So, Otto, uh, going back to a very, very, very cliched old cliche, an old saw or a chestnut, as some of us call it. I think Larry knows what that is. Which came first, the connected car or the connected smart city? What, do you put connected cars into a non-smart city and expect them to do amazing things? Or do you have a, wow, we've got a smart city. Now let's open the gates, take down the barrier to the bridge, take down the drawbridge and let the connected cars in. So is this something that happens in parallel or is it we're waiting for one to catch up to the other? Any no, thoughts on to, that? Uh, that's it, in our times where so much is moving on technology, it has to come together. And here again, you have a generation conflict. Now you have people sitting in politics which are not aware about these new technologies. There's just a few one who really understand where it's going. These are huge programs which have to run, and it, it must be a must. You need to have a master plan. And I, I, I don't see this as it's coming slowly. I don't see that all coming together and collaborate on this. There are so much changes coming on. Yeah, healthcare is changing. Yeah, banking is changing. Automotive is changing. Every industry is changing its way how it's considered to be on the market. The only one who is not changing is the governance. They are still believing they can do this in the way they did it the last uh, 100, 200 years. And I think this, this attitude needs to change. And the answer is very simple. It has to go together. Thank you very much. Uh, Larry Stoley, thoughts? What's the timing in your worldview? Well, you know, this, this is a very interesting thing, and you have to go back to what Heather's talked about very early on. You know, this, innovation is a very long-term thing. You know, it, it takes quite a long term to sell innovation and so on. But to Otto's point, he's absolutely correct. But honestly spoken, I don't believe that governments or um, regulatory agencies will change. I, I, I think there is too much inertia not to change anything. They collect too much money and spend it in too many different ways that are uh, not aligned 
with what they're supposedly con- collecting money for. I think people will force the change. I think people will be fully convinced in time with a lot of repetition that the value of an autonomous car is there. And the pressure from people will force you know, the regulatory agencies to make the changes to, to invest in the infrastructures uh, that are necessary to support this. So my optimism is this is going to be a slow process. It's going to be a painful process. But in the end, people are going to force the change. And, you know, when, when they make that, that uh, pressure felt, things will happen. Very interesting. Heather, love to get your take on this. You've been mentioned and cited, and, and uh, your Warren Bennis quote has been called up again about the monotonous rehearsals and repetition for getting innovation adopted. Talk to me. Sir, sure. Um, it, yeah, I, I agree with Larry. It's going to be people, and, and if, you know, to me to take it a step further, I think it's going to be private industry that's going to have to help drive this as well. Um, we're looking at, you know, that Congress hasn't approved yet, but Obama announced, you know, $4 billion to support sort of connected cars and, infra- you know, smart city infrastructure um, for connected cars that's kind of hanging in the balance, and you already have Michigan and California kind of vying with sites that they want developed to be able to test these autonomous cars, and, and but some of them are, are waiting, are not waiting, you know, they already have, you know, sponsorship by some of the major automakers to try to, um, you know, again, support these efforts, and so I think that we're going to see that. We're going to see that the private industry and the people um, are going to be kind of pushing it forward faster than the government's, you know, necessarily or traditionally willing to do do so. Um, but I absolutely agree with Otto that, you know, this, the smart city infrastructure is critical for the ultimate success of, of autonomous cars. So there's, they're going to have to get on the same page. Something's going to have to, you know, happen. Um, I'm not sure of the how, but, I, but it definitely is absolutely critical and necessary in order for autonomous vehicles to really, be, you know, reach mainstream adoption. Thank you. While you've all been talking, I've been Googling something very simple, smart cities and connected cars. There are too many references to mention, but I found something called the Pluto Project about connected cars and smart cities reducing carbon footprint, reducing emissions, reducing oil consumption. Here's another article somebody has on LinkedIn from January of this year. Will Smart City Project give a boost to the connected car? There's another one, a company called Inrix, launched a smart city platform to exploit connected cars. Uh, we have uh, Mac, M-A-C-K Institute, dot something. I can't see the rest. A, a roadmap to smart cities and connected cars and a lot more. If anybody's interested, just Google it and see. Fascinating topic. Otto, I'm going to circle back to you for just about one minute to wrap up on this topic because it's time for us to really look into the future. We're at the point in the show where we're going to do crystal ball predictions. So, Otto Shell, wrap up the topic for me, please. Yeah, we will be successful with um, future connected cars if the security of our big politicians like Obama's or Merkel's, who are they called, allow them to sit in these cars. At the moment, they would like to, but security would protect to get it in because they have so much concerns. So if we can get this sign that those people are driving this, I'm pretty sure that we can start to think about changing the world. 
Thank you very much. I think we just did your prediction, but we'll circle back to you for a little bit more. Larry Stoley, let's officially kick off the crystal ball. I know we're talking about the future of cars, but let's talk about the future of the future of cars. How far in the future do you want to look, Larry? You know I'm still enamored of the year 2020, even though it is hurtling toward us in the HOV lane at about 100 miles an hour or 1,000 miles an hour. But what do you see for this topic, smart cities and infrastructure and the the monotonous rehearsal of innovation, uh, the security issues, the data privacy issues, the enjoyment issues, the legalities of is the AI computer on board the car really the legal driver in case anything bad happens? Larry, any or all of the above or more, give me predictions and how far in the future are you looking? Larry, you can take a full 90 seconds this time. So, so for me, if I, if I look at this, Bonnie, in your 2020 is a good thing. I, I think technology will continue to advance exponentially fast every year. I mean, we will see technology advances that will enable more and more of what we believe, what we see, and they will enable things, and technology will enable things that we haven't dreamed of yet. The pro, and and that, that's a given by 2020 uh, and beyond. It's, it's a continuum. The problem that, that we will see is that the adoption, the implementation, and the ability to drive value from, from those things will be much slower. So my prediction is this. Technology capability and what could be will far, far outpace what will be because we have so many things to adjust to, to implement in terms of supporting infrastructures and so on. Technology will run fast. Adoption will run significantly slower over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, you left a little extra time for Heather Ashton at IDC, IDC Insights. Heather, how far in the future and what would you like to predict? Sure. I um, I, I want to kind of build off of what Larry said is about that. You know, and it, it's true that consumers, consumers, we have to remember this, consumers are not asking the auto industry to move into autonomous driver cars. Right, but therefore the industry and manufacturers need to also give them a lot of benefits to convince them to do so, and to you know recognize the um, benefits of the technology. But I want to look out, you know, say five, ten years from now, and think about what are some of the other implications um, once we are at a point where we have you know more or a preponderance of autonomous driving cars. And the, the big one that that came, comes to mind or the thought. Um, is what about motion sickness? There's actually been some studies that show that up to 22% of adults are likely to experience motion sickness in self-driving cars. Um, and this goes along the lines of some of the other technology advances of recent times, so virtual reality, um, some of those, those 3D movies that I, I can't personally sit through without feeling sick. So, um, so I think it's, it's interesting. We, again, we talk about the technology, and, and we see that the benefits of autonomous cars, but they're, we're still human at the end of the day. So I do think that that's going to you know, impact you know, the, the level of adoption and, and how it gets adopted, right, what needs to happen at the end. Well, that goes to the the good old-fashioned comment that so many parents, myself included, and maybe our three panelists today, have heard from children in the backseat, are we there yet? And then came the advent of the video screen in the back of the car where you can play movies and TV shows for the kids. And then we had the iPods and we had all kinds of music you can plug into the kids' earbuds. Uh, but if if we're talking about a different level of uh, becoming a little bit nauseated from being in a driverless car, that could change 
everything, Heather. Can you imagine, Mommy, I'm going to throw up. When are we stopping? Oh, (laughs) Mommy has to reprogram the computer. We're on a 12-hour road trip, honey, and the next stop is programmed for 4.3 hours away. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, this is getting gross, Heather. Thank you very much. Otto Shell, I can give you 60 seconds for your predictions. What have you got? So my prediction is that that we try to convert this entire discussion to how is something in for everybody. So again, driverless car means that we can work with healthcare together to get people to hospitals, getting people to shopping, to everything. So we need to go away from this this kind of picture showing that there are security issues, there's everything. So the question is how it can help to make our world a little bit happier, how a little bit more social. And then we get everybody on the on the group and, and work with us together. And this is for me the prediction. I, I, do, I have movies in mind where there is an upper class and a lower class. No, that's not what we want to achieve. We want to achieve something for everybody. And if uh, we, with, with our industries, can help to, to tailor these discussions, to bring us all on the line, then a driverless vehicle is more. Then it's, it's, it's really helping generations to go into the next level. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Larry Stoley, you're the sponsor of this series. We are off to a grand start on these first two episodes. Larry, I can give you just a couple of seconds. What's coming up on your next show? Any news yet on uh, episode number three? You want to entice us? Well, I think uh, for episode number three, what we're going to do is is spend some time talking about the future of manufacturing, connected manufacturing, if you will, and how that uh, Internet of Things and so on will enhance, improve, and, and take us forward in manufacturing by connecting supply chains, by connecting the manufacturing process, and by connecting the customer into the process so that their input and their um, ability to know where things are that they've ordered, for example, their autonomous vehicle or their semi-autonomous vehicle, how, where and how uh, far it's progressing in the manufacturing process. So that's what we're going to talk about on the next episode. And I think beyond that, Bonnie, this show has given me some ideas. I think we ought to, as uh, both Heather and Otto have talked about, let's talk about the infrastructure. Let's engage uh, with some uh, politicians who have some Oh, my goodness. Well, t- today Get is Super thoughts. Tuesday. A lot could change. Larry, speaking about infrastructure, I've got to close the show. So Good. thank you, Larry Stoley. What a wonderful thank conversation. You. Heather Ashton, terrific. Regards to everybody at IDC Auto Shell, what can I say? Just keep going boom, boom, boom with the techno, and that image will stay in my head forever. Shout out to Bill Newman, part of SAP now. Woohoo! He's been tweeting under William underscore Newman. Great avatar you've got there, Bill. Lovely to see you. And uh, thank you to Justin and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for joining us. Here's my call to action. How appropriate. Fasten your seatbelt. Whether it's driverless or not, you're going to need one, right, Heather? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Time for Dramamine? I hope not. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. 
we wish you a positively game-changing week.